Hi, my name is William, and welcome to Hitchhiker's Guide to Creativity, a podcast series where we explore the mindsets, frameworks, and approaches to design thinking. In this inaugural episode, we'll talk with two of my friends, Charlotte and Sumit, speaking on behalf of their fabulous team on design thinking, creative ideation, and their unique framework that might just help you in your next problem-solving journey. You'll hear about four of their clients, an education institute, an interior design firm, a coffee shop, and a restaurant. Let's begin. Hey, Sumit, Charlotte, welcome. Hiya. Hello, Will. Thanks for joining me in this very first episode. And just to clarify, we're not really in a coffee shop together, are we? I wish we were. No, three countries apart. Very much socially responsible here. Nice. All right, so... You guys told me that you've been doing some design thinking and came up with a model for it. Yes, and I hope the listeners aren't hungry because it's called the Ferris model. Well, it's great that I didn't have dinner yet, but listeners, be forewarned. Before we get into that, though, tell me more about design thinking and innovations of it. Sure. Design thinking is the process of creatively finding feasible solutions through an iterative process. Having a process is important to help interrogate our thoughts and bring out the best ideas our brain has to offer, not just the common solutions. How does that then correlate with innovation? Yes, design thinking is important for innovation. Dr. Albert Garuki, a Nobel Prize winner in physiology, defines innovation as seeing what everyone has seen and thinking what nobody has thought. 15 years ago, while computer chips and LCD screens became more affordable, Nokia and BlackBerry, as the most popular mobile-making companies, failed to identify the implications for their products. Apple's iPhone entered the market in 2007 and swept them away within five years. Even after seeing Apple's product, they were slow to react with their own innovation. Yeah, it felt so cool when I was switching from Nokia to an iPhone in college. But I might be giving away my age there. Now, Sumit, tell me more about Equal Odds Rule in design thinking. Sure. Equal Odds Rule is the foundation of our design thinking framework. In 1977, Professor Keith Simonton suggested that the probability the idea you come up with being a great one does not change much at each time. Therefore, your first idea has about the same chance of being a great idea as your 71st one. Therefore, going for volume is the key when you approach design thinking. Got it. So we're hedging it, right? The more ideas, the merrier. Now, you mentioned a fried rice model. Shall we begin now? Hold on. Before you begin, you must know the end in mind. Even copy reference. All right. <laughs> what is the end in mind you're referring to here? Yeah, so in cooking, you must know what a great fried rice tastes like before using the recipe and all the cooking techniques that you know, just like knowing your destination before driving. That makes sense to me. All right, go on. Yeah, so before you embark onto a design thinking journey, you must understand and differentiate a great solution to a good one. If that sounds too complicated, let's think of it as a two-by-two matrix with two variables at play, effort and scope. So when I say effort, I mean how much time, work, and mental effort is dedicated to the solution. Are you familiar with System 1 and 2 thinking, William? Of course, yeah. Uh, Daniel Kahneman, right? Thinking fast and thinking slow. That's a great book. Yeah. 
So in essence, system one thinking is quick, spontaneous, but is prone to fallacy. System two thinking is slow and deliberate. As you go from system one to system two thinking, your solution improves to a deeper consideration of the problem. Can't agree more. The other variable is scope. A good solution only focuses on the problem. A great solution manages to create an experience beyond the confines of the initial problem. All right. So, how does a solution that incorporates both experience and system two thinking look like? Hmm. It will be a solution that users don't even know they need them. Tesla, for example, if they focus only on a system one thinking, they would just produce electric cars that much like Ford or Toyota did. However, they created the groundbreaking iconic electric car by forming a unique experience. This is an example of a great solution. Create the need that the customer doesn't even notice. So, is it time for the main dish yet? Can I order my fried rice, please? Yeah. So, time for the fried rice. Let's dive into the highlight of today. I'm curious though. Why? Why did you call it the fried rice model? Hmm. Because rice is the only food that unites us all, as we have a full Asian team. And remember the key ingredient of the dish: the rice itself. Get as much rice as you can because you need to go for volume. That's where the name come from. Imagine the steps that you are taking to make a dish of mouth-watering fried rice. Get the ingredients from the market, marinate the chicken, slice up the ingredients, and cook everything in the wok. So let's begin with step one. To decide what ingredients to bring in, we must understand the flavor of each of them. This is similar to gathering data and understanding our client's problem and strength. Exactly. The most common technique we use in gathering the ingredients is appreciative inquiry. First thing we do in the initial meeting we have with our clients that allows us to get the full picture quickly. Everyone will happily talk about their achievements and strengths. When it comes to talking about issues or difficulties, we can easily get struck in the negative. Appreciative inquiry helps us. Clean the client's overall situation with an engaging and structured approach. Yeah, so appreciative inquiry asks questions centered on strengths, purposes, and hopes for the client. These questions can be what have been doing well, or what would did you do when you were at your best. Absolutely. In the case of the interior design firm, they were looking for customers to value their work more. They emphasized. To us, that a concept story to the client is the highlight of their work. After interviewing the customers, we found out that as much as their customer loved the concept story, customers tend to forget as it was presented at the very early stage. A solution took this into account and recommended to showcase the client's strength in a more memorable way. All right, all right. So you're saying that we got to understand the strength and bring it into the solution. So I guess this is kind of like how the flavors of fresh ingredients are used in a dish. Bingo! Well, exactly. All right. So I have the ingredients now. What's next? Now, after gathering all the ingredients from the market, you have to start preparing them. First of all, you modify the flavor of the chicken with soy sauce and sesame oil, or whatever you have. In design thinking, you take the ideas and the data gathered. And reframe it to get to a different perspective. That's a lot. So, how exactly does it work? 
Yeah, so reframing involves taking a step back and look at the problem more broadly by framing the problem with different lenses. And just like you're taking a step back to think, what do you want the chicken to taste like? Because the flavor of the chicken determines the tastiness of the fried rice. Any tips in reframing? Ta-da! We have the soy sauce. Begin a statement problem, problem statement with how might we. However, don't include the solution in it because reframes can build on top of the problem statement. All right, convince me then. How does this look in one of your cases you worked on? Yeah, so we have a coffee shop client that would like to increase the employee's retention. Their manager has been trying to find ways to prevent employees from leaving. Okay, common problem in the F&B business. Yes, so we first reframe it to how might we enhance an employee's experience with the company. And we eventually came up with how might we enhance employee's experience with the possibility of self-actualization. How did that help you come up with better solution? Yes, the reframe gave us a starting point, not only solving the retention problem, but also finding ways to come up with an ideal work environment for employees, attracting them to stay not only just for the job, but for self-improvement, a different take to a common problem. That's brilliant. Well, let me look so far at the recipe. We got the ingredients, we've marinated the chicken. I remember next would be, I guess, chopping the vegetable. Yep, that's true. Time to chop up the veggies. This is where the ideas undergo the process of abstraction. Exactly. Abstraction includes dissecting a problem and really looking into the smallest, most basic cause of the problem and taking it through the lens of how other industries, companies, or even nature solves it. This is useful to ensure that we don't get caught up with the specificities of the industry or the company in solving the problem. It allowed us to take a step back and get into what exactly needs to be solved. Yeah, so with our educational institute client, who was unable to convert leads into sales, we thought of how we could apply means used by premium universities across the globe to attract the best talent. We felt that taser class where prospective students get to experience what it's like when they get into the program is a unique selling point. This was then incorporated by the institute to showcase how they built the students' holistic portfolio beyond their just, just their academics. Wasn't it a great solution? <laughs> so I got a feeling you have a hand on this one, Summit. I won't deny that. So you're ready to turn on the heat now. All right, let's go get cooking. I got my wok ready here at the stove. Well, then time to pull out all the ingredients and start mashing. <laughs> all right. I mean, so, okay, let me stop you there. I got the fried rice part, but what kind of mashing can we do in design thinking? Yeah, so mashups in design thinking is when you force a connection between two seemingly unconnected ideas, just as you put all your favorite ingredients into the rice. You put the features from each idea with the help of abstraction and reframing to form a new solution. Mashup is a powerful way to help us to spark new fresh ideas out of seemingly unconnected ingredients. Exactly. Back with the interior design firm, we used mashup between interior design and wedding to create a solution for them. Well, okay, interdesign and wedding. How did you decide on what to mash up? I mean, what two items do you even mash up? Uh, well, we took some time to think of which two ideas to mash up. 
That's when we decided to use the results from the abstraction earlier and feed it into the mashup framework. We chose industries that sell expensive things people don't mind paying for, like Chanel, Amé, and the wedding industry. This gave plenty of ideas that ended up as a recommendation for the client. Seems like everything is in place now for the fried rice. It sounds like it's ready. Is it time to eat now? Sure, William. Yes, but we do have our first dish of fried rice here. Once we have our idea formed, we come up with prototypes. But that's not the end. We have to invite customers to try out our lovely bowl of fried rice, give us some honest feedback so that we can adjust it in the next dish. Absolutely. Design thinking isn't only about ideating, but testing as well. Getting feedback from our customers is important in the process. For our popular restaurant client in Sydney, we were tasked to address their long queue and to enhance the waiting experience of the customers. All right, I remember you mentioning about this. Some of the solutions did not really work with the restaurant's constraint. If I remember correctly, you were talking about recommending them to give tasters to those waiting in the queue. Yeah, you're right, William. Our client was concerned about the work, extra workload they had on the kitchen. It was then fine-tuned to testers only available at from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. The client was so happy, and if you are in the queue now, you get thanks to some testers thanks to us. Well, you know where I would be at 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. I'll be in the queue. Haha, <laughs> William, that's true. I know where to find you next time. And this is the end of our design thinking model. A perfect dish of fried rice is coming out from the kitchen, ready to serve. Thank you, Sumit and Charlotte. It was such a pleasure to talk to you both, and thanks to you all, listeners. I hope you've learned something from our first ever episode. We encourage you to check out the podcast description for the show notes, where we've included our two by two matrix and a summary of our fried rice recipe. This recipe contains some of our favorite tools for creative ideation and design thinking, but there are many more out there. So be on the lookout for our next episode. The next time when you order fried rice in a restaurant, we hope it'll not only fill your belly, but also remind you how you can solve your problems. Till next time.